0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia. It's time for Business Writers Radio.
1: Now, here are your hosts.
2: Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, the inaugural episode of Business Writers Radio, Stone. And we've been talking about this for a long time.
3: Yes, we have. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Jack and Patty in the studio when you were down in South Florida with your father. But you and I were together at their last conference, and we were talking to the guests about the conference and the boot camp. We learned so much. We had so much fun. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about working with these folks, and I have really been looking forward to this segment.
2: So uh, first up, we got James Dallas. Uh, James, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you all for having me today.
3: Well, it's good to have you back in the studio. James has spent a little time in the studio with us as, as well. We're looking forward to getting caught up on on your work. What have you been doing since we saw you last? Have you been out speaking?
0: Well, it, it has been incredibly busy. Not only have we been out speaking, but we're also doing workshops. And these workshops are tailored towards organizations that are trying to do transformational change. So it's built on the concepts that are outlined in the book.
2: You're able to use your book kind of as a um, plan for your
0: business? Yes, and that wasn't the intent. The, when I retired, I thought I was going to go off into the sunset <laughs> and actually uh, go back and do a lot of volunteering in the inner city, which I was I was raised. Uh, but as you all know, I did a presentation that was titled How to Be a Change Agent and Live to Tell the Story to a group of CIOs. And there was an uh, author in the audience. And next thing I know, I'm doing a book outline. And next thing you know, <laughs> have a book contract. Next thing you know, I have a book.
3: That's how it always goes, right, Jack? Is that, That's how books get put together, right?
0: <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes.
3: Well,
2: James, uh, let's recap a little of your career. You're, you were a CIO for several large companies.
0: Yes. I, I worked for 22 years at Georgia Pacific. And then I I retired from there and went to work at Medtronic, a medical device company based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So
2: retiring has been a good impetus for other careers for you? Yes. In
0: fact, I call it repurpose men. (laughs) 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 But, But if I could go back to the opening question about the workshops, what we love about the workshops more so than the speaking is that the workshops were able to deal with an issue that an organization or an individual is working with.
2: It's and not hypothetical.
0: Absolutely, and it's not general. Mm-hmm. You know, Normally, presentations are, are pretty general. You get a feel for the organization, the message, and, and then you deliver it. But a workshop, you're rolling up your sleeves. People are coming in there, and more importantly, they're leaving there with something they can immediately apply.
2: So you said it was kind of serendipity that this book became the platform that now your workshop business is, is based on.
0: Yes. In fact, the... Um, it's been more than that. It's been what I call a calling. My whole career is based on leading change. I've led change in different industries, different functions. As the CIO, uh, the reason I got into change management, too many of my projects were failing. And it wasn't because of the technology. It was because of the people, the politics, the culture. So I stopped studying about the technology and started studying about the people. And the way I sum, this, I sum it up, I was too focused on the what, as opposed to the who and the how. Change management is all about the who and the how. So did the book come together real
3: easy for you, or did you struggle with, with some chapters?
0: I was very fortunate. I had an editor uh, who worked with me, and I had done over the years a lot of presentations on change. So I put together the outline that was based on one of my presentations and the editor then worked with me to make it more, um, more readable. And she was able to say, cut this out, add this in. And she was just great to work with.
2: And so your book was traditionally published?
0: Yes, it was published uh, by Wiley Publishing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yes, that's the definition of Traditional, yes. Right. I did not uh, self-publish.
2: So you had, an editor was an important component then of the process for you?
0: Yes. I wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. I, I needed to have someone who had experience to help walk, walk me through it. Because if you looked at the, the outline I put together mm-hmm. and the opening chapter, it was nothing compared to <laughs> the end. Uh-huh. And I am so glad because if I would have gone to print with what I had published, <laughs> it would have been a terrible failure.
2: And then you wouldn't have had the impact that you're having right now.
0: Uh, absolutely. So I, I'm one that vouches. Uh, like people come up to me now, uh, after I speak or or before, saying that they would like to write a book, especially people that are in there nearing the end of their careers because they've accumulated a lot of wisdom. Biggest advice I give them is to work with somebody who's been there before mm-hmm. and can help you help guide you through the process.
2: So now when you were um, in your career actively doing CIO stuff, were you um, thinking about the book the whole time? Or was this something towards the end where you were like, you know, I'd like to leave a legacy. I'd like to capture some of this thought leadership.
0: Uh, No, I wasn't thinking about the book, but I was thinking about the legacy. And my core belief is that a leader has two responsibilities. One is to make a difference. And the way you make a difference, you got to know how to lead change. Mm-hmm. And the second is to develop other leaders. So I started spending the, the majority of my uh, later years on leadership development. And the main thing that I taught them was the, was the politics of leading change. Because that's not taught anywhere. It's not talked to us in college. You can go to any MBA school and they don't talk to you about about
2: politics. There's not a semester on politics. Correct.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then all those billions that are paid on consultants and on methodologies, they don't get into the politics of change. So that's what I talk to them about. And the thing that I'm most proud of is that uh, now there are seven people who used to work in my organization who are now CIOs of billion dollar organizations. So I am very proud of that.
3: Mm-hmm. He's like Saban in Alabama. He just generates more and more and more and more <laughs> That's leaders. Right, the CIO tree. <laughs> so Patty, I have to ask: when uh, when execs come, and and this is one of their passions to to leave a legacy, do they come to you guys with their thoughts this well organized, <laughs> or does it usually take some a little bit of help in helping them get their their thoughts and their plans? I mean, James feels it sounds to me like he's really got his, his stuff together. Or, or do you have to kind of help them think it through, usually? Well,
1: I mean, many of them do. They have their idea. This is their thing, their issue, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. But then there are others who they want to write a book, but they just can't quite frame it. So you have to work with them to help them think through what is the focus. Because there's so much. Because they do have that history. They do have that knowledge, and they know so much. So it's like, okay, let's let's work with you to frame it a little bit better. But most of the time, when it's an executive, and they want to leave the legacy. They want to write about what they know. They they know their passion. They know what it's about. It's just helping them get it into words.
0: Yeah, and if I could just add on, that was my case. I had so much to say that it was just all over the place. Yeah. And what the editor helped me do is to focus it. Take, for example, there are more change book management books out there than there are trees. Okay? <laughs> so her whole focus was on, okay, what's going to make this unique? What is going to make it stand out? If you don't have someone who's been there and done that, that can help you shape that, you're going to struggle with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and as James said, I mean, you have so much to say and you want to say every bit of it. And when you do, now we have another war and peace, you know, big, thick book. (laughs) And, you know, they don't don't sell. Um, Well, they could, this war and peace. But they just, so the idea is help them frame it. Say what you mean to say, say it well, and then let's get it in print and go. You
4: were going to say something. Well, uh, yes. What we see is a person comes into this point with a lot of experience, a lot of successes, and they made a difference. They just said, how can we keep this going? And so the book is the way to do that. Leave a legacy is the key issue here. Stephen Covey tells us to live, love, learn, and leave a legacy. And our conference that we have planned uh, for next year, our Business Writers Conference, Our closing keynote is on this. It's a guy named Scott Maltz. He's got a a New York Times bestselling book called Make It Matter. And it's about what we do, it must matter to people. He's got some great experience as a Procter & Gamble executive. But he's purposely pushed at the end of the conference to get people to say, if you have a legacy you want to leave, what better legacy than a great book? That shows what you've done, what you've accomplished, but it gives the spark for others to do the same. If you just look at uh, James's book, what the value of a book to me, and Patty's holding the book up here for us to look at <laughs> since we're on TV here. <laughs> so just imagine all of James' experience, all of his efforts he's made, and the successes he has is now available to us for about $30 with the publisher. What a great! Return on investment. When you buy a book like that, you get all of that experience. And to me, that's the fascination with books. The work that goes into that is so gigantic. But we can, for a low price, we can get all of that to us quickly. And so I'd recommend you buy James' book. Patty and I have already been through the book. It's a great uh, reference. It's a great inspiration, too. So that's a commercial plug. And,
1: And have we even said the name of the book yet? I have it. listening. <laughs> Lay it on them. Yeah. Mastering the Challenges of Leading Change by James Dallas.
4: <laughs> Mastering is a key word. Yeah.
1: But I think the bigger legacy, I'm sorry. We're, I'm sorry. We're taking yeah, it over here. The bigger legacy is, the book is a huge legacy, but I think it's what you've done for these other people. That's the legacy.
0: And, 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 and you are spot on because when I meet people and they talk to me about how they are applying the lessons, and how they are sponsoring others. See, the, uh, to me, a book is a way that you both sponsor and mentor. Now, let me talk about both of them real yeah, quick. Yeah,
2: define sponsoring.
0: Okay. Uh, let me let me first define mentoring okay. and then sponsoring. All right. Okay. A mentor is someone who teaches you how to play the game. And a sponsor is somebody who gets you into the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can know how to play the game, but if you don't have somebody that puts you in, coach, then you never get a chance to show people that you can play. What you can do, So a book is both being a mentor, teaching them how to play, and then because of the doors the book has opened up for, uh, for me. I'm on corporate boards now, nonprofit boards now. I get to get people into the game by sponsoring them, by saying, hey, here's somebody that if you put in the game, can get you some Mm runs. So this whole thing, the book, and that's the biggest and the most satisfying impact of the book is that people are being able to take things away from it and then apply it.
2: And that's an important point where a lot of people focus on being a mentor or mentoring people, but they're not willing to kind of put it on the line and be a sponsor because that requires you to use some political capital in order to sponsor
0: yes because uh, here's what uh, here's what allows somebody to sponsor and to to use another analogy in order to get a seat in the room somebody who's already there has to open up the door for you <laughs> okay sponsors are already in the room right. and then they use their own a uh, part of their own personal equity right to vouch for you so you're representing them right and that's why i always leave my my sponsees with this comment don't mess it up <laughs> because you're messing me up that's right and more importantly you're messing up the next next person person, who i want to have a seat
2: that's right because they're going to be hesitant if this person lets you down
0: absolutely and no one has messed up
2: (laughs) you're undefeated so now if you were going to um kind of give a lesson to the next author out there And knowing what you do now, how you were able to leverage the book and use it as a platform for a business now, would you have any advice for them? Yeah,
0: well, first, um, before they retire, if we're talking to the segment, do a lot of presentations and keep those notes Mm -hmm. and keep those outlines because I was able to refer a lot to them. And then just remember some of those pivotal, defining moments because those are the stories that bring your message to really life that people can relate to. So I had a lot of presentations and I had a lot of stories, especially political ones, mm-hmm. uh, of the battles that I fought and others fought on, on, on my behalf. And then uh, after that, then um, once you engage the right people to help you uh, frame it, then be thinking about what do you want your platform to be? Now, I know I wanted a book once that got into my my mind, but I did not know what I wanted my platform. That book is going to open up doors for you. That's going to be larger than just your business. Mm -hmm. It's going to allow you to have an impact on people's lives and the community. So start thinking about your platform because your book will give you a platform.
2: And then you tried several things and then landed on the workshops.
0: Yes. And, be, and I, I did a lot of speaking and the speaking was, was good because people left out fired up. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they didn't have, uh, what, what, what was missing, at least for me was something they could say, you know what? You just gave me the solution to a problem that I was working with. When you're speaking, say, what well, I've spoken in front of thousands. Okay. Um, so you got people in there who would have different problems. Hopefully, you can touch on maybe 75%, 50% with your general message. But a workshop, you're hitting 100% of the people in the workshop.
2: And that was more impactful and therefore more meaningful and got you more fired uh, up?
0: Uh, absolutely, because uh, we always start out the workshop by saying, what do you want to get out of it? Okay, so we do prep work. And then at the end of the workshop, we, we, we then ask that question again. Did you get, uh, did you, uh, did the workshop meet your needs? And do you, do you have at least one or two things you can go out and immediately apply? I'd like to add. You that, like
2: that, Jack. Huh? Yes, I, like that. That. <laughs> uh,
0: I just want to
4: say one of the deciding points for a publisher to go with you is your platform and building on what James says Yes, it's workshops. Yes, it's speaking. But it's also the followers you have. It's your social networking. And even consulting. Uh, Consulting is taking that workshop a little further, and you probably do some of that in your work as well. So you really need that platform already in existence to really get a publisher to to want to support you because they know that you'll turn that platform into a lot of sales. And I'm sure the next book's going to come easier, huh?
0: Yes, uh (laughs) And, and, and let me just talk on um, the, the, the point Jack made about the platform. I did not know that all that went into the platform. And mm. that's another thing that uh, we learned in this process, that you have to have a social media presence. And it has to be one that's consistent with the, the personal message you're delivering to. So uh, the, the, the platform it, it needs to be a comprehensive one. And I'm fortunate that I was able to get in contact with some people that helped me put that together.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, so how do you go about promoting your book now?
0: Well, now, most of it is through word of mouth. It's word of mouth and then whenever I speak. And, um, and so that's where the promotion comes from.
3: I'll give you one little tip. If you go out and tell people that Patty Phillips bought your book and uh, said nice things about it on the radio, boom. You're set.
1: <laughs> You're set. I mean, I can see it happening now. Right. Yeah. It's a call given. The, call the publisher. It is I mean, a given. They're probably wondering what that spike is about.
4: Amazon spike right. Amazon
1: now. spike happening
3: right now. So, what is happening for you? Like in the next six, eight, ten months, are you out on the road doing these workshops, doing the the speaking?
0: Yes. Well, we we have a series of work. Well, first of all, we're completely booked now, which is which is what amazing. a
3: fantastic That's problem right. to have.
0: Yeah. So we're <laughs> completely booked. So that consists of both speaking engagements, workshops, which we love. And also I do consulting and we do personal coaching, and especially for CIOs, because the CIO role is the most difficult and most challenging role in any organization. And what we do is to help CIOs be much more successful than they normally are. The CIO role normally turns over more than any C-suite role. Think about it. Most of the other people you're in the room with are business people. You're the only one in there that knows technology. The problem is you can know the technology, but if you cannot influence the business people, you're going to be ineffective. So what we work with people on, in the coaching part of it, is that uh, we, we say instead of it being the chief information officer, it's the chief influence officer. And the first way you have to influence, you have to know how to speak someone else's language and know what's important to them. So a long-winded answer to your question, we're completely broke, but we're loving every minute of it.
3: Where can people get their hands on this book at Amazon and or yeah. learn more about the, about your work?
0: Yes, well, uh, all the major online publishers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, they they have the, the book. Amazon ran out of stock about two weeks ago, but they are fully stocked That's Patty's now. fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But they're they're, they're fully stocked now. They can go to my website, James Dallas and Associates, and they can go to uh, LinkedIn. You can look me up on LinkedIn, send me a connection out on LinkedIn. We send out uh, what we call Wednesday wisdom. And these are just the bullets. of uh a, dallas a diamonds yes <laughs> that we've uh, kind of accumulated over the years
3: all right and when and when Sri gets back from across the pond they might get a chance to talk to her too right uh,
0: absolutely you notice how i i started hesitating because she has all of my <laughs> you don't like know any ha- of ha- hashtag change master <laughs> she ha- has my whole twitter <laughs> account thing set up so uh as you all can tell Uh, Without Cherie, who's my valuable VP of development, marketing, everything else, I'm kind of lost.
3: Well, without Cherie, you wouldn't be here because there's no way that we would (laughs) be able to coordinate the logistics just for me and you. Uh, We're going to leave your mic open. I want you to hang with us because you do have so much to offer uh, around this whole conversation. But in just a moment, we're going to visit with Joyce Bone, who is also a longtime friend of the business uh, Radio X uh, crew here. But I just uh, wanted to let you know you were talking about CIOs and and. And the community of CIOs here in Atlanta is remarkably strong. And I wanted you to know because I don't think I'm uh, saying anything out of school, but uh, just got a, an email this morning from our from our buddy Jay Farrow, who is now you know captain a, a captain of a different ship, and uh, he's going to come back in the studio. I don't know sometime in October I think get us caught up.
0: Right. Yes, uh, Georgia has the most vibrant CIO community I have ever seen before. And uh, we're fortunate to have a, an organization, the uh, the Georgia CIO Association, that's led by Frank Bell, that does an outstanding job of networking CIOs and then putting on different seminars of substance that CIOs can learn from.
2: And that's kind of unique around the country, right? That not every city has one of those.
0: No, in fact, uh, to Frank's credit he's going around trying to form them in other cities. Nothing is more powerful than that networking effect that yeah. uh, of of being able to sit in a room with fellow CIOs to talk about strategies to basically it's also a therapy session.
3: <laughs> Cuz nobody yeah. else really understands what you guys are going through, right?
0: No, not at all. In fact, we we get together and sometimes we could write a blues song, okay? <laughs> Because nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> okay. But you come out of those sessions energized because we do know. And then the impact we can have on not only business, but our communities and also government. When you think about it, technology is transforming everything. Sure. So that's why CIOs, with our seat at the table, with us being able to learn, grow, it not only increases the impact that we have on our businesses, on our communities but it also increases the impact we have in developing other leaders.
3: Well, listen, do not stop at this one book. You've done a marvelous job, but you, you can't stop here. We want to see more books, more and more workshops coming from you. And don't go away. Uh, we really do want you to hang in there with us. Please join us now in welcoming to the broadcast, Miss Joyce
5: Bone. How are you, Sunshine? I am doing wonderful. Thanks so much, Stone. It's so good to see you again. So
2: uh, you are the author of Millionaire Moms. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about?
5: Well, it started right here with Lee Mm -hmm. Cantor and Business Radio X. I had a radio show called Millionaire Moms Radio, and I interviewed at least 100 millionaire moms about their journey and how they managed to juggle both a business and a family at the same time. So uh, I have a lot to thank you both for. So I appreciate y'all so much. Well, talk
2: about the before pre us. There was you, and you your story was very
5: <laughs> very unique.
2: In that
3: I was getting ready to rap. That was all I was. <laughs> We're going to talk Peace more. Peace out.
2: <laughs> no, your story is amazing, and and people should hear it.
5: Okay, so my story is that I was a recent stay at home mom. I I got married, you know. And then thought, well, I'll just I'll be a stay at home mom. I'll it'll be easy. It'll be great. I'll quit work. I'll just kick back. Well, then I had the baby, and reality sets in. Right? It's like I want to go back to work. I was jealous of people stuck in traffic, drinking coffee, <laughs> and not being harassed by screaming little babies. But uh, so anyhow, I quickly realized that our budget had shrunk in half, and so. We were trying to keep with our same savings and all that. So it was kind of the impetus for me to start my own business. I was actually standing in a Walmart cleaning supply aisle when I hit threshold for this budgeting idea that we had. I was like, because I was the keeper of it, right? My husband just went off and did his thing and I had to make everything match up. And so I was reaching for a bottle of Tide and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to be over in the budget under household categories. (laughs) This is terrible. And it went from just being laundry detergent to being my life, you know, and it was like I had grown up one of six kids. I had great parents, but my dad had been downsized and money was really tight growing up. And I hated it. It was like I I quit asking for anything when I was 12 because I knew the answer was no. Yeah. So I just I literally paid my own way other than keeping a roof over my house since I was 12. And all of a sudden, I was looking at my little baby who's 18 months now and looking at him going, oh, no, I'm going down the same path. And I really don't want that to happen. So, yeah, I kind of got mad. And when I get mad, I tear up. It's about the only time I cry is when I get really mad. So I decided to um, change that storyline because I knew in life, if if anything's going to change, it's going to be you to do it, right? You can't control other people. And so I decided on the way home, I would start my own business. And I sat down and and I said, I don't care what obstacles come my way. I'm overcoming this. I'm going to start my own successful business. So I uh, sat down for 10 days and said, I'm not going to edit myself. I'm going to write down three ideas every day. And at the end of the 10 days, I'll have 30 ideas to choose from. So I did it. And at the end, I went, wow, I have 30 really bad business ideas here. So, (laughs) oh, well, so it's for that, but I'm not stopping. So I just kept it at the front of my mind. And I ultimately uh, came up with the idea. I went to lunch with my old boss, who was my mentor, who gave me a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. James, uh, he's he sponsored me indirectly and that I worked for him for eight years and he was the best entrepreneur I'd ever met in my life. And he was very generous big heart, good person. And I learned a lot from him. So he asked me what I was up to. And I was like, well, you know, if I see another Barney episode, I'm going to pop my eyeballs out. But uh, aside from that, and Barney, by the way, is a purple dinosaur, in case you don't know, uh, (laughs) that comes on every 30 minutes on PBS, at least back then it did. Back then, Yeah, back then. So it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was looking at him. And I went, I'll do what he did, but in reverse, because uh, I had worked for him through college and he would build a business and sell it. And then uh, the company that would buy his company, they were doing acquisitions to go public. So then I thought, well, I don't have the business to sell. So I'll just have to go buy businesses. And I kind of pitched the idea to him and he went, hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, well, why don't you do some research and we'll talk about it? Because he had been retired for several years and was tired of not having an adventure. So I spent the next six months pitching the idea, writing a business plan, doing the research. And uh, at the end of it, we realized we were onto something and we became partners and off we we went. And so we grew from zero to 50 million in 18 months by doing acquisitions. And by the way, this was in the environmental industry. It was called EarthCare. It was a non-hazardous liquid waste company. So that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was literally like the only female in the whole industry. It was about a bunch of trucks. It was about timed revenue. It was a, a very manly place to be. So it made for, it was very interesting because when I bought my first business, I walked in the door. The first guy I walked into within 30 seconds, he said, Oh, are you new here? And I'm like, yeah, I guess you could say that. He said, great. We've been needing help here for a while. Would you make me 50 copies of this? So he thought I was the new secretary and I just kind of chuckled and I I thought, well, you know, this is, I can either be a diva or I can Mm -hmm. set the tone for the culture and be helpful. So I made him the copy. 30 minutes later, I was introduced as the new owner, you know, there's 30 employees <laughs> sitting around and I scanned the crowd and I spotted him instantly because his eyeballs were the size of dinner plates. And I was like, that's right. Uh-huh. That's your boss. I am your boss. So, uh, anyhow, <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun times. And, uh, yeah, so anyhow, that was my first business. And I've, I've had several since then I've helped many others grow their own as well. So, uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell.
2: And then that, um, but by going through that, you thought it was a good idea, I guess, to Patty's point earlier to get that kind of niche and that focus and then focus on millionaire mom. So you can kind of tell the stories of all the millionaire moms, cause they each come from a different place and they each have a different impetus to mm-hmm. their success.
5: Well, the book kind of started back when I was doing earth care, because this was nine, 1997 the internet was not as robust as it is today. So I really didn't have access to female mentors and being in a, in a completely male dominated business. I remember thinking, wow, it'd be really great to have another woman to talk to about this. Uh, and th- it just didn't exist. So I made a mental note that I would write a book someday to help other women entrepreneurs succeed. And because it is a juggle, I used to get up at four forty-five in the morning, I had my sister as my nanny, so she lived with us and went to school down the street uh, at the local college, Kennesaw State. And uh, I would come home early. like I'd leave the office around four so I could be traffic home. And it was a juggle. It was definitely a juggle. So I wanted to help other women. And that's uh, what I decided to do. And, and I finally sat down to write the book after my brother, unfortunately, passed away from cancer. And I thought, you know, life's short. I need to knock this out and help people while I can. And, uh, so that's when I, I wrote the book and I kept looking for that common thread. Like, okay, I've talked to a hundred women and everybody does different things. What do we all have in common? And the reason why was because they had children that they wanted to, to raise in the fashion that they wanted to raise them in, which was provide them a good education and a home over their head and all that. So that was the kind of the thread through all the women was they were all, their wives were all their children and that's what drove them. And the, there were many stories of many tears and many ups and downs getting there. Um, but they all persevered. And that's the, that's the key to business is perseverance because you're going to get knocked down. It's how many times you're willing to get up.
2: And then you were able to use the book as a platform yourself and created the Millionaire Moms Network. Uh, That's right.
5: right. I did. And um, I had the Millionaire Moms Network for a number of years and then felt like I wanted to kind of broaden the niche because I uh, a few times and if you're writing a book, it's worth considering because sometimes I'd wish I'd left out moms and made it more about women because I would hear from some women, oh, I don't have children. I have a cat. Does that count? And you know, it's like anybody really who is an entrepreneur would benefit from the book because it's all about the struggle. It's all about overcoming the obstacles. It's all just resources to help you get to the next level. And so sometimes I felt bad that I left people out by niching strictly to moms. And that's when I I expanded expanded my brand to bone up on business. Because with the last name Bone, you got to use it, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, Patty, is that unusual to have a niche and then expand it beyond the niche? Because, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you're actually doing the stuff, right?
1: Right, right. No, not unusual at all. You start where you start. And I think starting with that niche, that's your brand and then taking it beyond. Now, what would be interesting is, is there another book coming?
5: There is, It's in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first place. It's not on paper yet, but uh, I, I, uh, as I evolve my brand, I'm getting more crystallized in what it is that I want to get across. And it's hard as a as a generalist, uh, which I've always considered myself that, because I've been successful in the environmental field, in the retail field, in real estate a broad spectrum. And I, I purposely kind of chose my career path to have a variety so that I could show that my principles that I preach work no matter what the industry. Uh, so that has been kind of my MO. And as I've gone along, I've realized this is really what excites me. And a lot of it has to do with mindset um, more than anything. I mean, I've raised $66 million. I've gotten Uh, products into Walmart. I've done some really big stuff. And it's like, well, how do you do that? It's all what goes on between your ears and learning how to manage and control that. And so that's my path that I'm kind of walking down more and more uh, as the years go by. And my next book will be around that. Right,
1: right. Well, and that's what we find even in our work. We started with the niche. It's measurement. It focused in learning and development. Now Mm -hmm. we've taken that and expanded it.
0: To, to, to all of, fields, right? Yeah. Every industry, HR, almost.
1: marketing, change, IT, environment, environment, right. humanitarian programs, and we're applying this process in all the fields. But it starts with that first book. What is it that you're excited about? So just like James, you know, what is he excited about? Um, Joyce, here's what she's excited about, and you go grow from there.
2: And Which, then, how do you know if it has legs? Like, how do you know
5: If that? it gets up and walks. If it gets <laughs> up and <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. If it if it gets up and walks is a great way mm-hmm. to, to put it. I mean, you have your workshops, you have your speak, you know, because you're, the feedback that you get, the audience, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the book sales that tell you you have legs. It's what's happening as a result of the book.
2: Right. You
1: know, What can you do in addition to the book to push it out there? And it just grows. It's an organic thing sometimes. And you realize, you know, there's another book in this. So a question when you're in front of, audiences do you find you start getting these questions over and over and that sparks that could be a book
5: it, i get feedback you're onto something it's yeah. they there they'll always be some indicator that you're on the right track yeah and you do hear that uh from audience you, you get the same things over and over and then you're like oh i, I guess i need to write a blog <laughs> post about that or or yeah. uh address that
1: Yeah, and that's what we've found. I mean, we've taken the methodology and applied it across all fields. But on top of that, we get so many questions about, you know, survey design. Okay, we need a book. Even though there are millions of books on surveys out there, they don't touch this audience. So you pull from that. So we really rely on the feedback, the questions, the interest of our audience. And then through our research and our consulting practices, things come out of that too. And you say, okay, there's a way to leverage this and build on it and serve a, a wider audience.
4: Yes, it's, it's basically doing your, your t- test marketing. You see, when you give a speech or you have a communication and someone says, hey, this is a great idea, this is great stuff you've got, you can see that reaction and that begins to tell you there's a need. A publisher would want to put more detail around that these days, trying to even name people and jobs who might be um, – interested in your book. And so even get down to how many people might buy the book. And so that's the bottom line focus with many publishers. But it all starts with a niche, and you can see it going on here. You see, a good niche is an intersection of passion, and you see it here with both of the speakers, and the persistence to get it done. And that's the basis of your book, Millionaire Moms, and the experience. You're building on your own experience and so if you can find that intersection you know you have a drive to get it done that's a perseverance you got a passion about this topic and you got some great experience along the way find that intersection is the spark for your book and then try to understand who will actually need that and buy that and it creates the market that the publisher needs to see these days
2: and it it seems that um It's different for a a nonfiction writer than a fiction writer because a lot of people picture the nonfiction writer just like an author is an author, but in actuality, they're totally different, aren't they? Yeah, huge huge difference. Because in a a fiction author, they could be locked in a room somewhere just writing what's in their imagination, but everybody in the room here today is saying how important it is to get feedback from either the workshop people or the people that you're speaking to or other entrepreneurs or Mm -hmm. business people in order to leverage that information as part of your presentation.
1: Right. And, and I think with fiction, with fiction, you know, maybe there's a need being served somewhere in it, but it's more entertainment need. Mm-hmm. Whereas in writing business and professional books, you're trying to serve someone. You're trying to help someone right. achieve some goal, solve some problem. So take that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in a <laughs> right. vacuum. You can't do it alone.
4: It I would add this, uh, Jack Stack, who wrote a book called the great game of business about 20 years ago, and he built he based it on his own organization. He got people involved. It's a, like open book management to the employees, and it was very successful. The book was very successful, but in, in the 20th anniversary edition, just recently published, here's what he said. When you write a business book, you're, you're taking the step of offering your advice to a lot of people. And more than likely, someone is going to take that advice and use it. That's an awesome responsibility. So that's a little difference. Business and professional, you've got to give people great advice, something they need, and something they really can value and use. That separates us from the fiction books. And so you really got to look at it in a different way. And this is why we started this organization, Business Writers Exchange, is is to help others get into the business and professional writing business.
1: And I think to Jack's point about the perseverance, you know, I know people may read our books or James or Joyce's books and say, you know, I could have written that book. My response is you didn't, (laughs) (laughs) you know, is that perseverance. You know, we all have something to say. The question is, are you saying it? Are you doing it and putting it out there? And
0: and if I could build on that, once you start, once you make your mind up that you're going to write a book, then something is going to happen that's going to try to prevent you from writing the book. Always. <laughs> Always. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and in our case, made, the, made, the, made my mind up. I was going to write a book. Next thing I know, the next week, out of the blue, we have temporary custody of two 18-month-old twin girls.
3: Oh, All my. right. See, I would have given you a pass on
0: that, as would most people, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we had them for 15 months. Wow. I wrote the book. I, I remember going to the editor saying, we got this tremendous responsibility that it's just dropped in our laps, and we've got to take care of it. And I I said, well, let's push it out. She said, no, James. Now, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get up like at 4 in the morning, okay, before they get up and work on this, and I'll be flexible with you. And we made it happen. So back to, uh, it's what I call that resiliency, that grit. But it's going to happen time you make your mind up, you're going to do this, something will come up to try to stop you from doing it.
5: The
3: universe will check just to see if you're really serious about this. All right. So the second one, number two is on your heart, but not on paper (laughs) yet. Do you have a plan and will you follow a similar plan or will you take a completely different approach or do you know yet on getting number two
5: out? I will take a different approach um, because it'll be more, the knowledge, my personal knowledge, rather than interviewing a hundred different people, I'll uh, I'll bring others into it who admire and respect. Uh, so it'll be a different process this time. And I agree with you, James, about there's always obstacles. It, it, there's always. When I, I wrote my book, I, I kept having people ask me when I was speaking, do you have a book? And I didn't have a book. And then somebody offered to publish my book. And I thought, well, now, maybe I should write one. Well, <laughs> two plus two equals four. Well, I was in MBA school. I had three kids and two businesses. So I wrote my book and it took me about seven months. I got up at five in the morning and I had an accountability partner. She likes to get up early and we, ah, I text, I'm go. up, I'm up, <laughs> barely, but I'm <laughs> up. You know, so it's a matter of really what you value and what you're committed to. So there's always an excuse, but it's just, you just got to get it done. But my next book, I will, um, it'll be a different process. I think they're, it's like kids, they're all different. They can yeah. come from the same parents, but they're all different. They all have different personalities. So
3: quick question. It might be a little mercenary, but uh, but I want to know, and I ask this of a lot of people, have you found that since you've had a book, you command uh, higher speaking fees? Or do you oh, get yeah. more? I mean, well, I,
5: what I love about the book. I mean, I people are always like, "How do you? How do you get that?" I'm like, well, I ask for one thing, <laughs> uh, I've never been shy about negotiating and and getting value for my worth. So I get paid well when I speak. Uh, the book is an added benefit in that it opens my ability to work with nonprofits, people that might not be able to pay me my regular fee, because then you can offer the book either as a negotiating tool to say, well, okay, buy X amount of my books and I'll come speak to your group. So then the group gets the knowledge to take home and it's good for the... Anyhow, it's it's a great negotiating tool as well. And then other times I can just sell my book if I'm working with a nonprofit that has zero budget and I feel like I want to help them, but I also have to cover my time, then that's what I'll do. Or I'll just gift them whatever i feel like doing it's just great to have that option
2: so it sounds like everybody spoke about the importance of stories and this actual research and kind of this information i guess if people who are aspiring writers that's something they should maybe just have a folder where they're just capturing some of this stuff as it comes along because you never know when you're going to need those anecdotes or some of those factual you know uh, proof of your work
1: yeah folders journals index cards Mm -hmm.
2: Right, that's something that a tool that you can lean on.
0: I'm glad I got that advice. I, I actually, uh, my uh, my father-in-law gave me that advice over 15 years ago, and I just started just jotting down things and putting them in a folder, and especially what I call those defining moments. Mm-hmm. And you know what that 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 means? That means something went bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, Either your mistake or somebody else's mistake. But those moments make you very reflective. To my surprise, a lot of people relate to them. Mm -hmm. Because we all, especially people that are trying to make stuff happen, they're going to always have something come up that was unexpected. And stories people can relate to. I want to go back to one other thing that was said as as far as... um, Start out with a niche and expanding off of it. It's absolutely correct in that the questions you get asked. Uh, in a lot of books, you, you, a lot of books tell people what to do. Here's what you need to do to be successful and everything else. What I find is that a lot of the questions I get asked are more related to the how. Now, really get into the detail. How do I need to do this? And, and the ones that come up to you and they're pulling on that string, they keep pulling on that string, that lets you know that you need to provide some more content in that area because you put it in the, uh, the right context. So this whole thing about I, I found people are so eager, whether I speak or workshop, the, the, the how. There are different avenues they wanna go through with the how. And they wanna get real granular? Yes.
5: Well, I'm gonna yep. get granular right now with them for <laughs> aspiring writers. If you have an audience because a platform is so important, uh, survey them. You will be surprised by what you find out because I sent some surveys out to my list as I was getting ready to rebrand. I thought that like millennials were all up in my biz, right? Because I was like all the way up to 50. Mm-hmm. I got very clear on who my target market actually is. And it was, people that in the age group of 40 to 55 and sometimes even older 60 but generally 40 to 55 and i also realized while i had 60% men on my list it was 40% women it was the women who were buying from me so either i'm just like super hot and dudes are hanging out but uh <laughs> which you know well yeah i won't go there but a, uh, there's
4: another book there
5: yeah. or i'm not languaging to the men. And I have to learn how to speak. I, I, and I noticed this after I did the survey. I'm like, I do speak to women and my, my branding is more feminine. I mean, it's not feminine. I tried to straddle that with the colors, blue, green, and purple, but uh, I, that's something for an aspiring writer to keep in mind because it, it, if you do surveys and you do the work before you write the book, you'll have a better result. And make sure that you're writing for who your intended target is. So now I'm expanding to include more men. And so that they don't feel like, oh, she's a she's a chick's chick, because obviously I'm a girl's guy because I worked in the male dominated <laughs> business. Right. I mean, I live with four guys. i I worked in non-hazardous liquid waste. So, I mean, I am a guy's girl, but uh, I also love helping women. So I don't want to exclude anybody. So I have to be careful with the languaging.
2: Right, and Patty, you mentioned surveying when we're having lunch, the importance of doing surveys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what better way to get a lot of information from a lot of people? Mm -hmm. Um, Surveys, and of course, the way Joyce approached her book is just, to me, brilliant. Because here in the studio, she is collecting data to develop this content. And so I think being creative like that and how you get data as well. So interviewing for a book having conversations with your friend is a great data collection technique, those informal conversations, but also surveying. Just pop surveys, polls every now and then. What are you doing with what you're learning from the book? How are you applying it? How's it having an impact? And then that comes back to you because it defines the value of the book, but it also helps feed the bee, so to speak. It gets you know, more fodder for your promotion of the book or your consultancy or your right. workshop. And
2: creating the engagement with your audience. And
1: totally, yeah, creating the engagement and opening up opportunities for other books because they'll tell you if you're not filling a need.
5: Right. You're 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 getting people who will advocate for you once the book is done. Exactly. Um, and I, I would tell you that don't be shy to pick up the phone and call people either because I did that. I remember just having a heart attack the first couple of times I did it. I was like, well, <laughs> why are they going to want to talk to me? I, yeah, I don't, I'm not published. It's my first book. And I remember the first lady I called, I told my whole family, everybody be quiet. <laughs> I'm calling this person. And so the, of course, the second I get on the phone, my husband's out there riding around on the riding lawnmower, right outside the window, the dogs barking. So I was like literally hiding in my closet, having this phone call. But people are so willing to help you. It's amazing. Just get over your fear of reaching out. And SurveyMonkey is free. So there's really no reason not to do it. You can use it on social media if you don't have your own list. And uh, if you do decide to go the route I went, which was data collect by doing interviews like that, create a standard set of questions and ask them in the same order. Because I transcribed all my audio. And then when I I had to read through (laughs) everything, I thought, gosh, I wish I would just gone boom, 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 boom each time. So that's a little tip. A good tip. little tip (laughs) for you. It's a good tip. tip.
1: But speaking of social media, don't forget, if you have a Facebook or a LinkedIn, what are people posting? And start analyzing those data. You'll start seeing some common threads and Mm -hmm. questions and feedback to the questions being posted. So take advantage of all the data that we have out there and learn to analyze it. And that can help you develop first book, second book, fodder for workshops, conferences, articles. Um, there's so much information out there.
0: And, and the other thing to keep in mind is never underestimate the power of one. And what I mean by that is you can go and speak to a group of 20 people. And that could be one person in there who I call a hub. They have connections all out. I mean, I, it's like a mushroom cloud. I went to speak at a book club. There are about 20 people. But that there 20 people, that were two of them in there that have now spawned off more engagements than I can count. Yeah. So don't equate success with the size of the audience that you're presenting to. Okay? Because all you need, that, that, that one hub that can all of a sudden get you connected, can sponsor you mm-hmm. because they're in the room with other decision makers. The second thing, if you know there's a conference you want to speak at, reach out. And you can't be afraid of being told no. okay? But you reach out and ask to get on that uh, agenda. And and a lot lot of the conferences, sometimes you have to reach out at least nine months in advance, if not earlier. But you targeted, uh, what we did, we targeted the conferences that would be good uh, venues. And then we went after them for me to speak at.
3: So there's a tip. Hire Cherie. And she will get you <laughs> yes. completely. But uh, before we uh, wrap, I want to make sure that we get caught up on the upcoming conferences and boot camps. But 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 before we go there, I want to know what's going on in your businesses now, Joyce. What what are you investing your time and energy in in right now?
5: I am coaching individuals and also doing group coaching via mastermind. I'm speaking, of course, and I'm creating courses for to to sell online to make if somebody can't pay to be privately coached. Uh, So those are the areas that I'm focusing on right now. And I I do some business consulting as well. And a lot of my coaching is kind of a blend between straight coaching and consulting. A lot of times I'll, I'll help people more than a typical coach because I can't stand it. I'll be like, do it this way. (laughs) And I got to jump in there. So that's what I've been doing. And the website. It's joycebone.com. And what was it? Bone? B-O-N-E. No, you had a phrase earlier in the
3: conversation. Bone up on business? Oh, bone up on business. (laughs) Yes. I like that. I don't get stone zone. up Welcome. on business. That's probably not as good as it. <laughs> 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 All right, maybe well, you in Colorado. Think hey, I'm doing a survey <laughs> here. Yeah, and maybe we'll niche it for Colorado. So, uh, Jack, Patty, get us caught up on upcoming conferences. We got a boot camp coming up sooner. I mean, pretty soon, right?
1: We do. We have a boot camp coming up September 16th through 18th in Blairsville, Georgia, just up the road from the studio. So not too far. Right. And then another one October 20th and 22nd. So two boot camps up in Blairsville.
4: your conference also give us more dates on that
1: oh more dates (laughs) on that so okay so we also have our 2017 boot camp calendar started january 5 through 7 in seattle washington we're excited about that and this actually came from one of our boot camp participants she was so excited about the boot camp she said you guys have to host it in seattle wow same thing in san diego another boot camp participant said we got to do it san diego so we've got one coming up february 2nd through the 4th and then april 17th through 19th we have another boot camp which is a pre-conference workshop to our business writers conference it's going to be in birmingham alabama at ross bridge we were very excited about that i um, close to home so but we went out to ross bridge it's a beautiful resort if you love resort venues, I mean, oh, we do <laughs> i know we do and who does like, it <laughs> who does not great golf great everything about well, and, it so it's gonna be a I, great event more than
3: that we want to go to this Birmingham thing if we're if we're uh, allowed back that's right you are
1: <laughs> we want you back you yeah, yeah. you're such a hit last time what well, was I Harris. mean the
3: conversations that we got and the people were just they were high as a kite I mean they had so much so many great things to say about the conference and the boot camp and everyone there even all the presenters were just they were so generous with their time and their expertise and I mean you had some pretty heavy hitters there. I'm not just talking about Lee Cantor. I'm talking about some heavy hitters.
1: We really did. <laughs> it was so much fun. It's so exciting.
4: And we, from that conference, we got several best-selling authors contact us and said, hey, I'd like to speak at your conference. I'd, nice. I'd like to help some people. So we, we're getting that going. You see, we, this is a niche. If we get back to a niche, all of these years we've been writing books, 33 years now, we kept wanting to go to a conference and learn more tips, techniques, we had fiction conferences and poetry and uh, children's writings and uh, religious and science fiction and so forth. Nothing for the business and professional writer. We kept waiting and we'd go to the other conferences and pick a little bit of data, but not much. So, okay, we said we're going to have to do it. We'd do it ourselves. And we wonder why hadn't someone done this? And so the reaction of the publishers, it says, my God, we need this because we're getting crap sent to us. As a proposal, they need—they don't know how to write good proposals, and they don't really know how to develop that niche. They don't know how to make a compelling, engaging book. And says, "Okay, we can re- remove a lot of that with some good conference speakers." And so, the publicists and the agents um, are also speaking there to help people with some of the issues. Even the self-publishing um, experts—you know, how do you make a self-published book work these days? The focus is on around. Building a business around your book. That's the way to make it work. That's what we've done several times, and we we know how to make it work and we want to see other people do it as well. So, so that's got, why we're doing it.
1: Yeah. And we've got some great people committed. Well, you guys met Dottie DeHart last time. Right? Dottie's yeah. coming back. Yeah. She's I she loves to be back. She's, she's great. A ball of fire, yeah. yeah, she's great. Uh, she's gonna Carl Weber's gonna do a pre-conference workshop this time yeah. and then do a session. So he's he's awesome. And who else do we have? Stephen some, Power Stephen is, Power's is about how to, to
4: develop your idea into a book. And he's a, a acquisition editor for Amicom. Um, did a very good keynote with us uh, first go around. Um, closing speakers I mentioned Scott Motz, who's got the great best-selling book now, uh, Make It Matter. But we got some others. We've got some others who are working on schedule changes now to, to be with us. And so it'll be a full agenda, much like the one that we had uh, for last year, which I think is still up on our website.
2: And then if somebody wants to learn more, the website is business writers exchange with hyphens in between each word, right? Business hyphen writers hyphen exchange.com.
1: That's it. Right. right.
3: Well, and I think it's important to note, I mean, you guys are building an entire a community, an ecosystem. It's not just about these conference dates. This is a living, breathing ecosystem and they're being served. And you have people of the caliber of a Joyce Boner James Dallas actively contributing to the knowledge base, I mean, this is this is something to get excited about. I yeah, think.
1: we are really excited, just so excited that you guys joined us for our launch of Business Writers Radio. We couldn't have asked for two better people to kick it off, and and now you're part of it. Aww, well, little did you, you, you know. Little <laughs> did you know, you're now part of it. So.
0: Well, I just want to thank you all for what you're doing, because there are so many people out there who have the wisdom that others will benefit from having someone that they can go to to help shepherd them guide them through the process is invaluable and i can tell in just listening and looking at both of you it's your passion to do this is more than a business it's a passion so thank you it was a pleasure being part of the first broadcast yes my thank pleasure you. thank you so thank much thank
5: you i appreciate it and you nailed it on the head when you said that what a bargain you get somebody's entire career consolidated into 200 pages or less and
4: $30 or yeah. $20, whatever the price is. It's just amazing. It is. We, I,
5: I agree completely.
4: I mean, and the work that goes into these books and the, the wisdom that's in there and the content in it and it's content that you can replicate and use yourself. So a book is the best investment you could have. We believe in that we've got 10,000 in our library and we think it continues <laughs> to grow.
1: It does continue to grow. Thank you, Amazon. And And any other bookseller, so I'm just saying.
3: (laughs) And the pearl for me today, I'm going to start writing down all the mistakes that Lee makes. I think it's
4: going great.
5: (laughs) That's going to be fantastic.
4: It's a thick book.
3: (laughs) book. (laughs) I think it could be, or a series.
5: War and peace.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, this is Stone Peyton for Lee Cantor, Jack Phillips, and Patty Phillips. Our guest today, Joyce Bone and James Dallas, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying, we'll see you next time on Business Writers Radio.